since the subject of Lamborghinis was introduced, the chariot waiting for me just outside has one angel power, but it'll outperform any Lamborghini. And it's more comfortable than any, any Lamborghini because Jesus Christ has sent those angels to comfort us because they're our servants. There is nothing in this world that isn't surpassed by something spiritual if you'll just think about it and make the comparison. Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 26. For those that are hearing this as the intro, the beginning of the sermon, I suggest that you read Psalm 126, which is a six-verse shortened statement of the joy of the Jews at being delivered from Babylon, and then their prayer for further prosperity after that, just as we desire. After the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, we want the joy of that salvation. Isaiah chapter 26. It has seven sections. I gave them to you in a preparatory email yesterday. I am not going to read them to you right now, those sections. We'll work our way through them. As we look at this chapter, and I do want to be relatively short, because you can look up the details of it later, I do not want to bore or tire you with Isaiah 26. It doesn't speak directly of Jesus Christ, but everything that it describes is true and truer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is this reigning king in Mount Zion today and has been for 2,000 years. When we look at Isaiah 26, it is in the middle of four chapters of 24, 25, 26, and 27. Four chapters pertaining to the same subject, and that's God's deliverance of the Jews from Babylon after their 70-year captivity back to Jerusalem and to reestablish them there. He plucked up his vineyard and destroyed it and took it captive and then brought it back and planted it again and took tender care of his vineyard. And the, the tender care of the vineyard in chapter 27, which will be our second assembly today, is precious indeed. I have already explained why we see these four chapters together because 23 is so different and 28 is so different and these four have the same theme running throughout. I am not going to turn you to the now 30 points of evidence that chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27 are Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Cyrus, and replanting in Jerusalem. There's many, if you go through these four chapters carefully and are thinking critically, you will find very many proofs. I am not going to repeat them I don't believe that that will add to us this morning. I've already shown you enough, and you can look for further proof later in the written outline. But we want to get right into section number one. Section number one is verses one through three. God, the Lord Jehovah, will save those that trust in Him. God will save those that trust in Him. And I read to you the first three verses. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Amen and amen. You say to me, Pastor, are you kidding me? Are you going to divide between verses 3 and 4 about the Lord? Yes, yes I am. And I want to ask you why you finish quoting 4 at the end of 4 and don't tie on 5 since 4 doesn't end with a period. 3 relates to 2 and verse 4 relates to 5. And you'll see that as we progress. Today is, a, today is a singing day. Today laughter ought to fill your mouths. Right. Today's a joyful day. Amen. This chapter's a song all the way down to the last two verses. It's a song, and it's supposed to be sung because of their deliverance from Babylon. And it starts out that way telling us that. 
In that day, the day of their deliverance, shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Well, when was Judah delivered like this? Back to my proofs that this is Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Cyrus the Persian, and their re restoration to Jerusalem. In that day, and in that day is seven times in these four chapters, and it's tying these four chapters together about that great epic event of the 70 years captivity and deliverance from it. We have been shown by the grace of God many things in the New Testament that few understand because we see 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. You can learn many things about the Old Testament as well to know that the 70 years captivity in Babylon was likewise a very large and significant event and referred to many times. The huge books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, along with Jeremiah's lamentations, are about that great event in many of its, their chapters. And then many of the minor prophets are about it as well. When I sent you Zephaniah yesterday in the preparatory email and let you read Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20 and that glorious praise that was there, very comparable to Psalm 126, it's about the same event. Zephaniah prophesied 25 years in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Same event. Even though it's at the end of your Old Testament. Remember, you work through the major prophets and then you start over again with the minor prophets and many of them are contemporaries right. about this transcendent event of salvation and deliverance from the city and empire of Babylon. So we got a song to sing. This chapter is a song with an epilogue of two verses at the end, and it should build our praise, our faith, our understanding, and our wisdom, if we'll learn it. In light of the judgment of chapter 24 that we covered last Lord's Day, and chapter 25, the righteous should sing, like we're told to sing. The glory of Judah's salvation from Babylon is seen in this chapter from many different angles. And we want to see those angles. The strong city is Jerusalem, but it was desolate. It was ruined. It was leveled. But God had favor for it. And when God has favor for a thing, it is strong because the strong God is with it. Because he had it, an order came from the throne of the Persian Empire. The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the world and hath given me a charge to build him a temple in Jerusalem. Cyrus the Great of the Persian Empire. There was greatness and there was strength in the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem by the decree of Cyrus, which was by the decree of God. We have a strong city. Brethren, we have a strong city. Jerusalem was saved, that was on earth, and then destroyed forever. But Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all, forever, without destruction. Amen. His child, and forever, I am. Right. You just sang that with me. Amen. His child, and forever I am. Indeed, it is so. Though their circumstances made them vulnerable, God saved them so many ways. And with a decree like that from Cyrus, the ruler of the world, the regathered Jews could shout about their strength. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. The real walls and the real bulwarks of Jerusalem are the ones that God appoints, not the ones that men make. If you remember, Hezekiah made darts and shields in abundance and put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon, which was the armory of Jerusalem. They tore down houses. They repaired the wall. They redirected the water in order to preserve themselves from Sennacherib. But the real walls and the real bulwarks, bulwarks are earth fortifications outside of a city wall that the men would fight behind and then retreat to the city wall if the enemy made it that far. Bulwarks, earthly fortifications around a city. God has established them for us. Right. And we thank Him for them. And though we make our ordinary precautions and our own defenses, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety 
is of the Lord. And God will appoint his salvation for walls and bulwarks. God had said 70 years, and I will deliver them out of Babylon, and I will rebuild my city and rebuild my temple, and he brought it to pass. And so it's his appointed protection that works the most. It was God's work that Belshazzar was killed in the night for Darius and Cyrus to rule Babylon and the empire. God would further move the hearts of other Persian kings to protect their Jerusalem. God delivered Jerusalem from Alexander the Great, Antiochus IV, and others by his power. God's appointed our salvation from three deaths, an eternal inheritance of all things. We have a mighty city, Amen. the kingdom of God, which owns and rules the universe. This verse is for them, written about them. But when we look at it, we know that we have a salvation greater than this with benefits greater than this. Amen. Therefore, if they were dreaming, and if they were singing, and if they were shouting, and if they had laughter in their mouths, what should we have? Right. We should sing a song, because we have a strong city, Jerusalem, which is above. Do you feel this morning like you're standing on Mount Zion? You should. We're standing on Mount Zion, in the temple of the living God, and his son Jesus, called David, in Ezekiel chapter 37, sits on his throne. Amen. And we with him rule the universe. All things are yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God will appoint our salvation. No one can touch us. And if you think the martyr's lost, you are very twisted. We have heard their testimonies because the martyrs were the greatest winners on earth. Amen. When you can stand in the face of death and torture, day after day, week after week, month after month, when you can stand in a fire and sing praise and forgive your enemies, you have achieved a level of being and existence unlike anyone else in the world. Right. How can anyone hurt a martyr? They couldn't hurt them. They would say, let's get this show on the road. Would you get the thing lit? What made them like that? Because it was victory. It was the strength of the city of Zion and the bulwarks that were made by God. Don't think about dirt. Think about the spirit that would change a man to be like that, that would change a woman to be like that. No one can touch us. The bulwarks of our new Jerusalem need to be taught to the next generation. Psalm 48 and verse 13 puts it this way. 48, which is about the bulwarks of Zion. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. So let's mark the bulwarks that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's, let's view the palaces and take a tour of them and show it to our children and our children's children. The only time you are at risk at all is when you stray outside Jerusalem's walls. And we're tempted to stray every day. We're tempted to stray every day outside of Jerusalem's walls to pitch our tents towards Sodom. To covet some Babylonian garments of the city of Jericho. Nothing to fear. Okay, we've got to move a lot faster than that. It's a song, and so let's just, uh, let's just do it. Verse 2, open ye the gates. It's a song. Open ye the gates. We sang, we're marching to Zion. The Lord's song is, open ye the gates. It's a song that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. When we're singing that together, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth, two things should grab us. I want to live righteously. Will you live righteously with me? Because we're singing to each other. Right. We have held the truth. Let's keep holding the truth. Right. Because the city of Zion is for those that hold the truth. Amen. They had been 70 years in Babylon with paganism all around them and great threats. Remember the image? If you don't, when the music plays, when the praise band cuts loose, if you don't worship my image, you're going to be thrown to the fiery furnace. They did not apostatize. 
They were lovers of truth. Let's be lovers of truth. It's a song. Verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Because it is in God, verse 1, that we have a strong city, and he appoints our salvation. So, in verse 3, we have perfect peace, because he protects us. There's nothing for us to be afraid of, because we've put our trust in him. Our strength is in Him, not in our walls or our bulwarks, but in His walls and His bulwarks that He's created in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You say, if the wall's high enough, it, it says, not height. It says if it was dug deep enough, we wouldn't be able to get out, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the song we ought to sing. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. The only reason you lose peace is because your mind loses contact with him. And you need to desire him again in the night. And you need to desire him again in the day. As we're going to find in these two chapters today. That there is a soul desire that you need to have so that you can have perfect peace. Because it's only for those whose mind is stayed on thee. As soon as we start thinking too much about politics, too much about finances, too much about health, too much about family, we lose, we lose our peace. Lord, save us from that. Trust in Him and you'll have perfect peace because He's got the walls and bulwarks for this world and eternal life in the world to come. Unbelievable. His child and forever I am. You're simple, aren't you, Pastor? I noticed that last week it was king of my life, I crown thee now. I am simple. Thine shall the glory be. Do you know how simple I am this morning? His child and forever I am. Amen. I don't ever try to move me from the simplicity of the gospel. Right. If you want rows and charts, just wait. Just wait a little while and get me in a weak moment and I'll bang you out some rows and charts of phases and proofs and stuff like that. But uh, don't bother me very much with it because this is what I want. Amen. Let's go to the second section. Verses 4 through 6. Yes, more could be said. I know more could be said. And I'm sorry. But we're just going to keep moving through this book because I'm supposed to be an able minister of the New Testament. And I'll remind you again. I'm uncomfortable locked up in Isaiah. But I'm going to make the most of it while I'm here. And I hope that you can see that. I hope that you believe that. Verses 4 through 6. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. For, this is why we keep reading forward, for he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city He layeth it low, he layeth it low, even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. Verses 4 through 6. Trust Jehovah against any enemy. Their enemy was Babylon, the ruler of the world, the queen of kingdoms, the king, the king of kings in God's opinion of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they had a great enemy. And the trust that was introduced in verse 3, in the God of salvation from verse 1, where we have a strong city, and God appoints our walls and bulwarks for our salvation, we are then exhorting each other, trust ye in the Lord forever. It's a song. So we're singing it. In this day, this song would be sung, which means we're singing it to each other. Notice, we're singing. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. So in verse 3, we sing a description of the peace that a person can have by keeping their mind fixed on Jesus Christ. But, it, but how do we advance from that? We exhort each other right. to trust in the Lord. Doesn't the Bible tell us that we are supposed to speak and teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So when we all get together 
We have verse 3 describing the benefit of a person trusting the Lord, but verse 4, oh yes, David, trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Amen. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to weaken. He's never going to change. So we can trust in the Lord and we should encourage and exhort each other to do so. Trust ye in the Lord forever. Let's not stop. Let's not do it today and not do it tomorrow. Let's not do it this year and not do it in 2025. Let's do it forever. And let's encourage each other to do it forever. We're singing, brethren. Trust ye in the Lord. It's a song. So we're exhorting each other. Lifting each other up. This is how we have to face life. Have to. This is how we get to face life. By trusting in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You know that combination is only here in Isaiah chapter 12. But I, and I went over it there, so I'm not going to go over it here. It's precious. It was a song there. It's a song here. Because we ought to sing about this great God who intimately and personally and everlastingly loves us. Verse 4, Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. He can defeat any foe is the point being made. There is nothing too hard for him, and it doesn't end with a period, and the next verse begins with a coordinating conjunction because it's tying together the victory over Babylon as an evidence of his strength. How strong is the Lord Jehovah? One night, Babylon is overthrown. The heathen shall say, he hath done great things for them. First day on his throne, the God of heaven hath given me a charge. Go and rebuild Jerusalem and build a temple to that God. Tremendous. And it's verse 5. I mean, it's verse 5. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. Those are the Babylonians and the Chaldeans that lorded it over the whole earth at this time. The lofty city, he layeth it low. This is a song. Can you tell that it's a song when we run into verses like verse 5? For it sounds like this. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, he layeth it low. He layeth it low, even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. It's a song. And so they were celebrating 70 years in captivity. 70 years with pagans everywhere. 70 years knowing that your farm is being trodden down and filled with wild beasts. 70 years that the rubble has weeds and trees growing in it. But they're delivered and they're coming back and God is their walls and their bulwarks. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. That's all about Babylon. Verse 6, the foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The poor and needy Jews. You know, a telegram arrives at every door from the king. Pack up and move back to Jerusalem. I'll cover your expenses. Gather anything you want from any neighbors around you and go back to Jerusalem and build the God of heaven a, a temple. Amen. Do you know what those people were like when they danced out of that place? The poor and needy of, Babylon, of the Babylonian Empire danced in the streets of Babylon because that night it had changed. A night before that it had changed hands from Belshazzar the Babylonian to Darius the Mede. And so the poor and the needy trampled it down as they ran out of that place because they were going to a strong city. Now remember, to run to the strong city, they had to run under walls that were, let's take the least estimates, 60 feet high and wide enough for four chariots. They had to run under the walls like that with a moat supplied by the Euphrates around it but they had walls and bulwarks the world doesn't know about because by appointment Cyrus said what he said to send them back home because there's forces at work in the universe and in this world that the world can't see but they're ours because our king is the king of nations section 3 verses 7 through 9 God favors the just 
and their cause. Verse 7, the way of the just is uprightness. Thou, most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Amen and amen. Verses 7 through 9, section 3. God favors the just and their cause. The song now moves to another aspect of the character of the Jews saved from Babylon. They've been singing about their deliverance and praising the greatness of their city of Jerusalem that God was going to help them rebuild. And they were putting their trust in the Lord Jehovah and exhorting each other to it. And that God had brought the city down and that they had walked out of that place, the poor and needy, as total victors. No, they didn't have a ticker tape parade, but they walked out as the total victors over the empire that had taken them captive and held them for 70 years when they left that place. But now, and this is the beauty of Isaiah 26, we're going to get some character references on these people and how the Lord deals with certain kind of men. And here we go with one of the first angles, and it's verses 7 through 9, and it's God favors the just and their cause. Just men are upright. They're righteous. They do what is right as defined by God in the Bible. Turn back just one page, hopefully in your Bible, to 24 and verse 16. 24, 16, do you remember? The first half of this verse. From the uttermost part of the earth have we heard songs, even glory to the righteous. Because when men live righteously, God will show them his glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84 and verse 11. God himself is upright. He is the most upright. As this seventh verse tells us, the way of the just is uprightness. That's simple enough. A just man, an elect man, one of God's children, a saint, a believer, a Christian for you and me. A true Christian is upright. His way is uprightness. He does what is right in his life. Thou, most upright, because God is the most righteous, he's infinitely, perfectly, everlastingly righteous, doth weigh the path of the just. The Lord measures us, examines us, tries us, and sees us, and then favors us when he sees us living righteously. Again, to 84.11, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. When it says that the Lord, who is perfectly righteous, the most upright, dust weigh the path of the just, he examines it and he favors its cause. It's more than just weighing it. It's weighing it, and when it weighs out, and he tries us, I mean, he doesn't expect perfection. He just makes it perfect by his gracious kindness to us based on our efforts. Then he favors us in our cause. Verse 8, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. In this 8th verse, the word judgments is like it is in Psalm 119. It is referring to the statutes and the precepts and the laws of God. Yea, in the way of thy word, O Lord, have we waited for thee. Our way of living, the, the way of the just, is uprightness in verse 7. Yea, Lord, in the way of thy judgments have we waited for thee. We did not wait in anxiety. We did not wait in impatience. We did not wait fatalistically. We did not wait impatiently. We waited righteously for thee. And if you'll wait righteously, God will come to your rescue. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. And here we go. Brethren, this is what I want for you. This is why I'm still alive for you. The desire of our soul is to thy name 
and to the remembrance of thee. Right. I want your soul. I don't care about your money. I don't care about your friendship. I hope you know how I mean that. It's in comparison to what we're talking about. I want your soul right. for this. Yea, Lord, we did behave like just men when we were in Babylon. We did walk uprightly. You weighed us. You know that. And you have favored our cause. Yea, Lord, the desire of our soul is to thy name. Present tense. We're singing. And this, we should be able to sing this to each other. The desire of my soul is not my wife. I have the best wife in here. But she isn't the desire of my soul, and she knows it, and we talk about it often. And guess what? I've lost. I'm second fiddle to the Lord Jesus Christ for her. Amen. i got to hear about him at home. She sits in my office and wants to tell me, you're not first in my life. And this is how we... This is how we talk to each other. And they're the happiest days we've ever had. <laughs> Talking about our love for the Lord, wanting it to even mount up and be more and more. Right. Because this is the soul desire I want you to have, brethren, as the ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to have the desire of your soul being to His name. No other name. The sweetest name I know. Should we sing it right now? Sherry wanted me to stop every section and sing another song. I threatened her that I might, but I'm not. The sweetest name I know is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And that's what I want for each of you. I hate it when I see the world getting a, little, getting a piece of you. And you're distracted. You're diverted. You're, you, you don't have the laughter in your mouth and the joy of the Holy Ghost like you could have. Like you should have. But it starts right here in verse 8. The desire of our soul is to thy name. What we want the most is to desire the name of God and his memory. Their souls had a desire to know and to honor God's name and to think upon him. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Here's desire and delight, both meaning the same thing. This is how we should help each other. This is what a real marriage is. When I help my wife love Jesus Christ more than me, and make him the desire of her soul, and so that she lives uprightly with that as her motive, so that she stands perfect and complete in all the will of God when she has to meet him and enjoys all the blessings of it now until that day. This is, that's what love is. Love is helping another person prepare to meet Jesus Christ. That's what love is. It's not satisfying your lust with someone else. It's not some warm and fuzzy feeling. The warm and fuzzy feeling comes from me rejoicing with her about her first love in Christ and her rejoicing with me about my first love in Christ. Then we read something like Psalm 126 together and we're like two kids in a candy store where dad said, anything you want. What an example we were given by these Jews in Babylon. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Think. My brethren, think. Examine yourselves. What is the desire of your soul? What do you truly long after? Do you crave to know and honor God himself? To remember all that he is and all that he has done? Verse 9, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Perhaps foolishly. Perhaps with not the best judgment in the world. I shared a night with you last Sunday. I shared my Friday night with you. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with... My spirit within me will I seek thee early. What a fantastic statement. What else do you do in your bed when you're not asleep? It's the perfect opportunity. There are no distractions. 
and you can pour out your soul to Him. And then it carries over into the day. Wednesday I was beside myself before I met some lads that night for some Bible exercise and fellowship. Uh, this is for each of you. I want, each, I want this from each of you. Blessed God, thank you for giving me existence. Because if you hadn't given me existence, the joy and glory that is filling me right now would not be in the universe. Thank you for giving me existence right. that I can know thee. Yes. Because the joy and the glory in my soul is about to explode out of me. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for, for giving me existence because the joy and glory of my soul about you is going to exceed anyone else's. And if you hadn't given me existence, you would have deprived yourself. You say, that's awfully bold to tell the Lord. Thank you. I want to be bold with the Lord, but I, that's not why I'm preaching. You know why I'm preaching? Because I want you to be bold with the Lord. Amen. I want you to do what we have right here in front of us. You know, here we are plowing through the deliverance from Babylon. Ho-hum. <laughs> and then we get verses, and you know how I mean that. There are some wonderful statements of character here about the people that he pulled out of that troubled mess and reestablished in a strong city with walls and bulwarks that he had prepared. Right. How boldly do you talk to the Lord? I tell him, if he hadn't given me existence, then I wouldn't know him. And the happiest person on earth about his existence wouldn't be there. He would have lost. The only way you can pray that is if you're sowing your precious seed and seeking to desire him like that. It feeds on itself. I've talked. Let's go. Let's go on. Oh, it was wonderful. For when thy judgments are in the earth, here's what the Lord had done to them. Now this is judgments that are different from verse 8. The judgments in verse 8 are statutes and precepts of God's law. The judgments here are His chastening. For when thy judgments, when thy chastening are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. There's a reason why my desire is so much toward thee. There's a reason why my desire is thy name and the remembrance of thee is because thy chastening of chasing us out of Jerusalem and sending us to Babylon and leaving us there for a while has had its proper effect. Your afflictions and faithfulness, O Lord, have turned me back unto thee, and here I am. And you know that in Babylon, under the chastening rod, my hands were not hanging down nor my knees feeble, but I lifted them up because your chastening had accomplished its perfect will in my life. We know that adversity chastening draws us closer to Him, and it's a shame that we need that to get closer to the Lord. Let's go to the next section, verses 10 through 12. Yes, more could be said. I hope enough was said. I hope enough was said to convict you, to convert you, to move you, to persuade you that you want your soul to be like those in verses 8 and 9. The last half of verse 8 and the first half of verse 9, and the result will be that you'll want to live according to His judgments and that the way of you will be upright and that He will be able to weigh it, see it, and reward it. Verse 10, let favor be shown to the wicked. This is God made the righteous different. This section, three verses, God made the righteous different. Let favor be shown to the wicked, yet will he not learn, up, learn righteousness. See, in the last half of verse 9, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. When you chasten us, put us in Babylon, and then pull us out, we learn that we want to live righteously. But you show those kind of favors to the wicked, doesn't do a thing for them. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. There's no desire in him to behold the majesty of the Lord. There's a great difference in men. We can separate ourselves this morning. You can separate yourselves. I hate average. I hate the word mean, the arithmetic mean. I hate average. 
I want you to be exceptional. I don't want you to be like anyone else. And do you know how you can separate yourselves? It's not the multiple of your age that you're making. It's the desire of your soul for the Lord. Verse 10, they will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Let's behold the majesty of the Lord. Let's desire the majesty of the Lord. Let's feast on the majesty of the Lord. Let's speak of the majesty of the Lord without His chastening hand on us or His favor on us because He's the Lord. Lord, verse 11, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. Amen and amen. If we desire the Lord in the night, it's because the Lord worked that in us, but we work it out. So there is a combination of the sovereign power of God and the responsibility of us that satisfies his soul. It is, we're not fatalists. It's not all his work. He worked in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, and we are supposed to work it out with fear and trembling, and it's the combination that pleases him. If you ever think to yourself, well, he worked it in me, so what kind of play? No, 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 no. He worked the ability in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now you do something with it. Verse 10, we've used it often for total depravity and appropriately so, that if favor is shown to the wicked, he will not learn righteousness. We are not, be, we are not psychologists that say that it is a child's environment that makes them wicked. We know that it's the nature of every human descendant of Adam that makes him wicked. And it doesn't matter if you change his environment, he's still going to be wicked. He will not learn righteousness. If you put him in the land of uprightness, it's not his environment again. He will deal unjustly. He will not behold the majesty of the Lord, even if there's favor and dramatic signs all around him. The heathen will say, the Lord hath done great things for them. The heathen never say, I repent in dust and ashes, unless the Lord changes them. But that's in verse 12, and we're not there yet. We're just at verse 10. What a difference. Here's a group of people in verses 7 through 9 whose sole desire is the Lord and to remember His name and to keep His memory fresh in them. And then there's these that will not behold the beauty of the Lord even with God's good hand of mercy shown toward them. Verse 11, Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, and that's a positive, a good hand. When your hand is lifted up in goodness and you do kind things for them like you do for us, they will not see. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see. But they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Who are the people? The Jews. Right. They are going to be ashamed that they ever envied, resented, hurt, touched, violated, imprisoned the people. They're going to be ashamed, but then it's going to be, listen to me, too late, too late. Verse 11 is too late. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. The fire of thine enemies, the object of the preposition enemies is the object of the fire. These are, this is, these are genitive phrases that we've been over before the fire that burns up God's enemies is going to burn them up when they, in the, at the end, when it's too late, they will realize that there was a God in Israel. Right. you got to go back to Exodus chapter 14 and verse 25, and I'm not turning you there right now, but Pharaoh and his army in the middle of the Red Sea, do you know what conclusion they came to when their wheels fell off and the water looked a little queasy? Do you know what conclusion they came to? The God of Israel is fighting for them against us. Right. They knew it was curtains. They should have thought of that about 10 plagues earlier. It was too late. They didn't see everything else that was done. They didn't see that nation exploding into the great nation that it was until it was too late. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, 
And that's positively. Verse 10, let favor be showed to the wicked. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see. Okay, let me try to help you further with this verse. If you're having any difficulty with it, and I'm guessing that you are, do you remember in Acts chapter 14, at Lystra, Paul raised a lame man, and they tried to worship him. And they tried to call him and Barnabas Jupiter and Mercurius. Do you remember that? And he had to explain to them, listen, there's a creator God in heaven that sends sunshine and rain and food and fills your hearts with food and gladness because they do not recognize those things. They, they were looking to those stupid Greek or Roman gods that they had chosen to worship. And so even though when God, God's favor is everywhere. Amen. He opens his hand to every living creature. Right. Every living creature eats from God's hand. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. That is the fire that burns up God's enemies shall devour them. It's, it's one of those genitive phrases in the Bible where you've got to read the context to find out is the object of the preposition the subject of the action or the object of the action. And the fire of thine enemies is the enemies are the, ob, the object of the fire. The fire is burning them up and it will burn these people up that envied the people of God. Verse 12, Lord, in opposition, opposite of that, thou wilt ordain peace for us for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. Whoa, yes, right there. He worketh in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Amen. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. You're going to burn them up. And he did burn up the Babylonians. But you've ordained peace for us. And one of the reasons we know that you've ordained peace for us is because your grace in our lives proves it. For thou also hast wrought all our works in us. These are not works for us. These are works in us. Our works in us. The way, the reason that we took your chastening and responded to it, the reason that we desire thee in the night, the reason that we walked uprightly is your work in us. Right. But we have put your work to work. And that's how we want to live our Christian lives. Amen. Verse 13. The next section, God exalted his nation over other nations. God exalted his nation over others, verses 13 through 15. Oh, let me, let me make another comment here. Do you see those? Do your Bibles have little paragraph marks? Do you have one at verse 5? Do you have one at 12? Oh, you know, sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're very bad. And they're very bad in Isaiah 26. They are not inspired. And they are not Jewish. Okay? There weren't verses. There weren't verses until just a few hundred years ago. And somebody's put these little paragraph marks in there to, to help you think through the chapter in sections. But the sections are really confused. So I'm ignoring them. Always have, always will. I hope that you can when you read your Bible. Don't worry about them. Verse 13, O Lord our God. Oh, yes. After he burns up your enemies and ordains peace for you and wrought works in you that changed you so that you're not like the wicked, so that you want to live justly and you want to desire him, what else do you have to say but this? O Lord our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. Amen. They are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. Thou hast, that's past perfect tense, meaning before the discussion here, you had put us in captivity. Now you've delivered us from it. And what a difference you've made. Very briefly and very quickly. Verse 13, O Lord our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. For the last 70 years, we have had other kings over us that we had to give honor and allegiance and praise to. And we are sorry. 
you put us in that situation, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. And certain things they made us do, we had to do. But by thee only, only by your deliverance, will we make mention of thy name. We are going back to Jerusalem with one name. The name of the Lord God, Jehovah. We don't care about any image that Nebuchadnezzar made. We don't care about Nebuchadnezzar himself. We don't care about Belshazzar. We don't care about Bel. We don't care about Shishak. We don't care about Nebo. We don't care about any of those gods. But we had to submit as citizens of that nation to things that they forced on us by their dominion. But you are our Lord. Amen. Can you turn over just a few pages? Let me show you Isaiah 33 and verse 22. Some of you will probably make this your favorite verse. Isaiah 33 and verse 22. This, this is what they were going to go back and believe in Jerusalem. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Amen. They had been forced to own allegiance to the Babylonian Empire. But now they said, by thee only, Lord, you've delivered us from their power. It was all by thee. It was your walls and bulwarks. We couldn't deliver ourselves, but we're going back to make memory of thy name. We'll make mention of thy name. Verse 14, there, it's over with Babylon. Verse 14 is all about it being over with Babylon. Verse 15, you have increased the nation. You've put us together. You're sending us home. Thou art glorified. The work that you're doing in our lives and in our nation is fantastic. Next section. Verse 16, four verses this time. God will answer prayer with power. Do you believe in prayer? God will answer prayer with power. Verse 16, Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. This is a song. So first, second, and third persons are not very important. It bounces back and forth and around. I'm just I'm warning you. It's a song. And so it's referring to those that were in the captivity. They prayed. Here's how it's worded. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Like as a woman with child that draweth near the time of her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. Notice, they, we. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. This is beautiful about a resurrection of the Jewish nation. It was dead. They were civilly dead, politically dead, economically dead, financially dead, geographically dead. Everything was dead about them. Now the dead, the, uh, look at verse 14. They are dead. They shall not live. That's the wicked. That's the Babylonians. They are deceased. They shall not rise. But God is going to bring resurrection to the Jews. Not physical bodily resurrection. There's more resurrections than that. Do these words mean anything to you? Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. Right. Is that a bodily resurrection or a soul resurrection? There's all kinds of resurrections in the Bible. Right. And Israel was basically dead. If you looked at it, where's its capital? Where's its people? Where's its farms? Where's its tax revenue? Where's its military? It had nothing. But it's going to have it all back again. Verse 16, Lord, when we were in trouble in Babylon, we prayed. When your chastening was on us. Verse 17, we howled like a woman in labor. Without an epidural. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. Verse 18, it was like we were pregnant. And all, we, all the labor, all the screaming, all the fear, all the worry, all the pangs brought forth wind. We couldn't give birth to a baby. We got to the birth and couldn't produce. Just wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. All of, our, all of our pangs, all of our crying, all of our praying seemed to be hopeless because nothing happened. We couldn't deliver ourselves, and we couldn't drop the inhabitants of the Babylonian Empire. It was as if we gave birth to wind. Verse 19, this is a song. It jumps very quickly. Thy dead shall live. You know, you couldn't deliver yourself. 
You couldn't give birth. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to raise this dead nation. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. This isn't Isaiah. This is the chorus singing back and forth. Ever had a chorus, one half sings, the other half answers? Should we do that in the second service? With one half to the other half. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. The earth is going to cough out a new nation. The Jews are going to be restored to Jerusalem into their strong city. And Babylon's never going to rise again. What a difference in two lives. The life of Babylon and the life of Jerusalem. And that's why I suggested that you might want to read Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14 about the valley of dry bones because it is exactly this very same thing and the very same concept of a resurrection. There's poor Ezekiel just seeing all these bones prophesied to him, son of man. I love Ezekiel. So I prophesied what I was told. I hope as your pastor I've always told you what I was told. But Ezekiel said, I prophesied what I was told. Bones started popping together. I mean, they were, these bones were all busted, popping together. Sinews started to... F- if you didn't read it, you missed it. Because it was, it was God's commentary on the Bible. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, the last three verses tell you exactly what he's talking about. It is not a detailed explanation of regeneration. Oh, so many have dived into that passage and tried to teach regeneration out of it. It's the restoration of the Israelite nation. They, were, it, they appeared to be dead in the grave, thrown into a valley. Sinews popped. Flesh came. Then Ezekiel goes, Lord, wow! But they don't have any breath. They're like mannequins. Prophesy, son of man! That's what I feel like this morning. I'm looking at some bones. Yep. Live! Come on, men! Come on! This is the word of the Lord. Laughter ought to fill our voices. And we ought to be full of singing. And so that's verse 19. It's a resurrection of the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel, brought back together, just like Ezekiel 37 described it. Remember, there's similitudes. If we didn't have similitudes like this once in a while, then the prophets lied to us when they said, we used similitudes. Hosea 12.10 says, we used similitudes. So if you didn't have verses like this, we'd have a problem in the Bible. This is not a problem. If we didn't have verses like this, it would be a problem. Are you with me in my explanation? So there's going to be verses that you look at and say, really? That's what a similitude is. Really? Absolutely really. We couldn't bring, to the, we couldn't bring forth. And so now there's an epilogue. The song is over. Verses 1 through 19. And the Lord tells his people, listen, i got to do a little damage to Babylon. Because remember, it's a prophecy. The song would be sung when they were released. They would sing it in Judah. That's what the first verse told us. But before they got released from Babylon, there had to be some ugly pounding of Babylon. And if you read Jeremiah 51 last night, it had references in verse 6, verse 9, verses 45 through 46, and verse 50 about my people withdraw as much as you can because I'm about to crush the city. That's what these two verses are saying. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Withdraw from Babylonian society. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Trust me, does the Lord know how to shorten the tribulation? Did he, did he do it in Matthew 24? Did he say, for the elect's sake, I'll shorten it? Did he do it in the siege of Babylon? Could it have been terrible? Cyrus took it in the night. For a little moment, hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord... Oh, brethren, this is my God. Right here. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. I have put up with this for 70 years. I am about to pound the daylights out of Babylon. 
go hide yourself in your closets. And if you can leave the city and get out in the countryside, leave the city and get out in the countryside, Jeremiah 51. And so ends Isaiah chapter 26. A 19 verse song. They sang when they got back to Judah. They described their character, God's favor toward them, how the wicked aren't like them. They're different. God worked all our works in us. He's the Lord Jehovah. He's got everlasting strength. It's just jam-packed full of good stuff. And you know what? We've been given so much more than them. It is a shame that we don't tear this place apart with our joy and laughter. Right. We've been given so much more. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.